I mean, out of the 600 rehab flips, probably 95% of them, I never used any of my own money. I would do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Initially, as you start, you do partnerships because people need to believe you know what the hell you're doing and they need to see those checks. And then you can start to renegotiate saying, hey, I've paid you an insane return on your money. We need to ratchet that down. You're going to become a debt partner. This is the We Love Real Estate Podcast. My name is Sean and I love real estate. In this weekly podcast, we interview the top real estate investors and professionals who share their knowledge and expertise to help you become a real estate investing boss. So if you love real estate and want to level up your investment game, then you've come to the right place. And now, on to the show. What's going on, investors? And welcome to episode 273 of the We Love Real Estate podcast with Sean Pan. Today, we have Justin Colby on the show. Justin is a real estate investor who has done almost 2,000 deals across the nation, and in this episode, he'll talk to us about how to establish a network to find great team members, contractors, and private lenders. He'll also share his tips on how to find deals and how to creatively finance them. So if you want to learn more about how to flip houses and how to wholesale deals, then you need to listen to this episode. As always, if you're an active real estate investor and you need a hard money lender for your next project, then you can reach out to me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Enjoy the show and I'll see you next week. All right, Justin, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, uh, my name is Justin Colby. I've been doing this for almost 15 years now and I've done nearly 2,000 transactions. Uh, I've done it across the nation. You know, I've done about 600 rehab flips. I've done, I don't know, another 1100 or so wholesales, um, and then a bunch of wholesales and buy and holds, all that uh, in those deal flow. So uh, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've made plenty of money. My eyes have been too big for my stomach, if you will. I took on a 79 unit development at one point, uh, had to raise a whole bunch of capital for that. Uh, didn't go well. Uh, we're nationally uh, wholesaling and flipping right now. I Bought 14 rentals, uh, sight unseen last year alone. So things are good. Things are rolling, that's for sure. That's awesome. So let's tell us about your start. How did you get started with real estate investing? Uh, I lost it all. I was broke, busted, and disgusted back in uh, 08, uh, 07, really. And, uh, you know, this is before gurus or podcasts were a big thing. But I wanted to be in real estate. I was a real estate agent then, um, but I hated it. Right, um, and then I lost my home to foreclosure. I was sleeping on a couch, and the repo man took my car, so I didn't even have a car. No income, no car, no house. Like I said, I was broke, busted, disgustedly, disgusted mentally and financially and spiritually. Um, from there, I realized I wanted to flip homes. I wanted to stay in the real estate space, um, and so I just started calling, cold calling agents to find deals. Back then, the financial world was upside down, specifically the real estate world, right? So the banks didn't know how to deal with short sales, et cetera. So it took me nine months to get my first deal. From there, I invested in a mentor. I borrowed $25,000 to invest in a mentor. And that's why I always tell people who are thinking about it, it's never a lack of money. It's a lack of resourcefulness. I had to go borrow it, right? It wasn't in my pocket, uh, but that's what got me to get to where I am today. And every year, uh, in 2021, I spent about $115,000 in coaching. In 2020, I spent 85,000. I say all that just to say, there's always growth. There's always another level I'm trying to push to. And so once I got my first deal done, I only made seven grand, by the way. So I still had to borrow 25 grand. Um, and then that got me rolling, right? And so from there, you know, 2008, 2009, next, you know, 
uh, took on a development play. I actually started fix and flipping first. Most people start wholesaling, but you don't need your own money to fix and flip anyways. So I always make the point of it's really whatever the better exit strategy is for that specific deal. It's not just saying I am a wholesaler because being a one trick pony is just not smart in my opinion. Nice. And when you were first getting started, how did you find that $25,000? Especially when you were, like you said, broke and disgusting. (laughs) Who'd give you that money? Yeah, super, right? It's amazing how much money is actually out there. And so my family is not from money. I didn't call my mom and borrowed the money that way. I ran into uh, a buddy, made the call. He had money, said, hey, I'm going to be a real estate investor. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be successful. Are you willing to loan me 25 grand? And he said, yes. So it speaks to the point he trusted me. But, you know, listen, there are so many people out there that have money right now. You just aren't asking and I'm not saying walk around to everyone you know and call everyone and say, hey, can I just borrow 10 grand? Can I borrow 25 grand? I'm saying put it out there. Like some of my students, I have a coaching program and I coach them to find money, right? Because they're like, oh, I need to get this flip or this Airbnb or whatever. There is so much money out there that is in 401ks, self-directed IRAs, in people's savings account that is just sitting losing value to inflation, right? And I would encourage anyone to start having conversations with your friends, your family, your network about you being a real estate investor. I'm looking to flip some homes. I have these opportunities. I'm going because when you talk about that stuff, people will inquire. And the sexiest thing on TV right now is flipping houses. It's everywhere. There's a hundred million shows about it. Our boys, Pace and Jamil have like, it's everywhere, right? And so um, it is not hard to find money these days. You or someone who is looking for it they're just not asking the right people right they're not putting it out there yeah and for your very first deal what did those numbers look like so it ended up being a whole tale i know you do hard money lending by the way if you're not reaching out to sean right now or in the next day or two about his hard money lending that's how we leverage always leverage other people's money right so if sean has lending component which he does reach out to him talk to him about that what does it look like how much do i need to bring down etc Um, because I'm always, I literally bought 14 rentals last year alone with not one of my own dollars, not one. And I leveraged what some would consider hard money to do the acquisition. And then I did a Burr model and then refied it out into longer term money It's simple. I promise once you understand that. So talk to Sean, um, thank you. Little plug for you there. So I had to use transactional funding because it essentially was owned by the bank. So I had to actually close on the deal. They weren't going to allow me to assign it or even do a double close, right? So at the time, transactional funding was really big. That Back then, it was basically like eight-hour money. Like the money was out, closed the deal, and the same day, same working day, you had to close the second transaction. Now you have 24-hour, 48-hour, 72-hour hard money or, or you know transactional money. Um, it's expensive, right? It cost me, I think, two points. That's why I only made a small little $7,000, but I bought the home literally same day resold the home to someone else because it was like a 2000 build right didn't really need much there was not a lot of work that was my first deal and then when momentum clicks in best time to get your second deal is right after your first deal so quite literally like we had two deals back to back in the last you know three months of the year it was like boom boom and we made a whopping fourteen thousand dollars total so still not much money it didn't change my lifestyle at all but it made me understand one thing that i could do it Now I knew it was possible. I knew and believed it emphatically. And so now it's just like, that's why I called my buddy. I was like, hey, can I borrow $25,000 for coaching? 
because this is very real. Like I can go make a lot of money and make sure you get your money back. So that's what it looked like. So basically you already had some success, which is why your friend was more willing to just give you the 25,000 versus your brand spanking you with no experience. Yeah. I mean, to, I, I was able to get one deal closed before when I made the call, but I would encourage people to make the call anyways, right? You have a lot of people that believe in you more than you believe in yourself. The biggest thing that we have to overcome is our own what's in between our ears, right? The story we tell ourselves of why you can't, how it's going to be hard, how your market's tough, blah, 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 blah. But if you actually can go to someone else, they likely believe in you more than you believe in yourself, right? So I, I would say you don't need to wait ever, right? I mean, here, let's put it this way. There's a company called uh, Prime Corporate Services that I teach my students to go get business lines of credit before they've ever done a deal, right? So if you just go there, they'll, they'll do, I have a consultation. If you go to primecorporateservices.com forward slash TSOF, they'll give you a complimentary consultation. My point to that is there's companies out there that maybe you get 10 grand, maybe you get three grand, maybe you get, you know, two grand. It gets you going though. There's money literally everywhere, right? Uh, and Sean, I can connect you with them. Have you heard of them? Nope. Sean, I'll, you know, put you together with them if, if that's something that you want to look into as well. They're incredible, right? So they, they do a lot of stuff for me though. Like they're going to just do my estate planning with all my rentals and all that kind of stuff. Cause there's definitely a model that the wealthy, the real, real wealthy use that, uh, most people aren't aware of anyways, money's everywhere guys. Don't, don't wait. I would really encourage you. You know, I believe in three things and I call it CIA commitment, intention, and action. And if you can commit, have the right intention and take massive action, you will win. Just take the action, right? Don't overthink about it. Yep. And when you took that mentorship program, what was the something that you felt was like a really good takeaway from that program that you probably wouldn't have gotten from just trying it yourself? You know, it's interesting. I think um, if I remember correctly, I had, the, they gave you like 24 calls or something like that. It was like, I had a call limit um, and I literally used six and I never reached out to them again. Not because they didn't do, not because they weren't a great coach. Because literally within six calls, I got everything I needed for that moment, right? To get to my next level at the moment, that next level for me, within six calls, I was done. I had it, right? Now, like I just told you, last year I spent 115000 The year before, 85000 I still invest in coaching, in masterminds, and being around the people that I need to level up to. And so it's just it's an ever-growing process, right? I'm always progressing. Um, and I would encourage all of you to do the same, right? That's why you guys are listening to Sean is because you're trying to learn from what Sean has been able to do over the last several years, right? So that's good for you guys. You should be doing that. I'm kind of wondering, like, I guess, specifically for that very first coaching program, what were some like major key takeaways that you probably got from that? You know, it was probably, I don't remember the, the exact because the world was so different there because it was so um, short sale and like foreclosure heavy back in those days. But it was really more like, systems like measure how many offers you're making in a given week measure how many of those get accepted like kind of kpi type of stuff you know there's probably some you know hey you know if you go after this type of thing right there's probably some of that i don't i mean it was almost 15 years ago so sometimes i can't remember what i had for breakfast but i do know that's where we started to realize we had to measure like were we even making enough offers to even get anything accepted right so that's where we started really ramping up our offer game is because the banks, the homeowner would accept our offer because they were losing it to foreclosure. So the homeowner's like, absolutely, I'll take it. But then we had to deal with the banks, right? But yeah, I mean, I think it had more to do with being able to measure what we were doing, our output, right? Because everything comes down to output. 
You're never going to win if you're not making offers. Like I would encourage everyone here. I don't care what, you know, I've done this for 15 years, almost 2000 deals. You still need to be making five offers a day. So my team right now, our benchmark is eight offers a day is our benchmark, right? So you guys should be doing five. Yeah. And what is your systems for making deals in the first place? Like how do you find leads and how do you find deals? So I believe that you need to have three marketing strategies at all times. So our big three are Google pay-per-click, Facebook pay-per-click, cold calling, and then we leverage cold calling with text messaging, right? The reason why I don't make it a big four is because you already skip trace the phone numbers. We're already calling them. We're basically just taking the same list. We start at this side and we call, start at this side and we're texting. We're kind of just like two ships crossing in the middle of the night. So we leverage text messaging. I use Launch Control. They're phenomenal. Um, uh, but Batch Leads has a great platform as well. I just, you know, if you're already skip tracing that many leads, you might as well be calling them and texting them. I think you're the first major flipper that I've interviewed that doesn't use direct mail. Is there a reason why you decided not to use direct mail? Our callback ratio got so terrible. Um, I used direct mail from like 2010 to 2016. And it was awesome. And I made millions and millions and millions of dollars. But what happened was we went from like, you know, 1.25 callback ratio down to 0.25 callback ratio. And the spend to get to where you needed to go was so high. Like there was a point where like the cost per deal was like $8,000 to get a deal, right? And then what if you make four grand on that deal, (laughs) right? Like it just becomes, you start to look at it. And then also you are getting so few leads that it's hard to scale. Now I'm not saying you need to scale to, you know, crazy numbers in terms of like 400 deals a year or anything like that because I'm old enough and I know better now. But the reality is like, if I want to be doing 10 plus deals a month consistently, I can't only get 20 leads a month, right? Because there's just no way. Like I'm not going to be able to convert one at every two. So then it just comes down to scalability, right? So I'm a big believer in going wide because we're in an event-based business. The only leads that you, me, or anyone will be able to convert is someone who is really interested in selling. And the best way to do that is not you. It's an event that they're going through. You know, everyone asks me, what's the best list, Justin? What list do you pull is the best list? Well, first of all, I do believe absentee homeowners are a better list than owner-occupied. But I go after both because someone's going through an illness, someone's going through a job change and is moving, someone needs to go move closer to family, someone's going through a divorce, someone's going through, someone's going through, someone's going through. But you need to be in front of them while they're going through it, right? So if you're not, if you send that person a piece of mail today and tomorrow they find out that their job's relocating them, well, and you don't call them or text them or do any other way of getting in front of them, then the person who sends them a direct direct mail piece tomorrow or calls them tomorrow when they just found out they're relocating, who's going to get that deal? And it's going to be the person that's top of mind while they're going through the event, right? So I still love direct mail. I still am am an advocate of it. I just use it a little bit differently. This is more for like the hotter leads that we're just trying to continue to nurture. Like we know they're pulling the trigger at some point. So that's more of a follow-up. We used to do, you know, 100,000 mail pieces at a time, right? Now it's just, you can't economically, at least in my world, I don't see the value of that. And when you're saying you're doing like Facebook and Google pay-per-click, are you directing them to 
like a website that is just broad that you accept every property from everywhere in the United States? Or do you have like location specific websites that you direct them to? Nope, broad. So it's called US National Home Buyers. And that way, whatever city they're in, right? And it's just US national, right? So but yeah, and that's, you know, and then we convert from that. I have a pretty cool secret little tool that uh, I may bring out to the public soon, but essentially anyone who even goes to my page, I'm able to scrape their uh, contact information. They don't even have to put it into the page. And then we can start dripping on those people, the people that even just go to my page and don't do anything. I now can start dripping on those people as well. Very cool. And you know, because you are a nationwide you know, wholesaler and flipper, how do you find like team members and crew to yeah. I guess, do deals nationwide? Uh, so I believe in four things. I don't, I mean, foundationally believe there's four components of this business. The first component is your network. And that's how I find all my crew, agents, title companies, lenders, if need be, you know, investors, you name it is through my network. If you aren't leveraging your network in a big way, like I do 10 plus wholesale deals um, for free every, every month. And it's because my network brings me the deals and I just sell it for them. I don't spend a dollar right? That's free money. In my world, the reason why I'm able to increase my marketing budget and go from 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a month in marketing is because I take that free money and I allocate it towards a marketing budget, right? And that's how I'm able to grow that. So the number one way that I find those people is through my network, through the masterminds I'm a part of, through coaching. And by the way, I already brought this up by, by asking, right? So if I know I'm in Texas, I'm going to text Sean and say, hey, Sean, have you, do you know any good contractors out there? He's going to say, well, no, I'm from the Bay Area, but, you know, call Fred. He might know some people. So I'm one call removed, right? I call Sean first. He says, well, call Fred. He might know somebody. Now I'm talking to Fred. Makes sense. So, you know, for me, it's always network. Yeah, because like I mentioned, we did recently move from the Bay Area to Texas because we did want to do more deals here in Texas. Yeah. You know, it's, it's actually a lot easier to find deals here. And um, I don't know, like we feel like it's, the Bay Area's hard. <laughs> yeah, the Bay Area, dude. That's us. I'm from there, bro. I'm. It's it's a dark spot, right? Like it's very hard to get deals out in the Bay Area. Not that it's easy anywhere, but it Bay Area's price point really makes everything else so much more difficult. Exactly. And so we're able to leverage the capital that we have to then buy way more deals over here in like Texas. But then the big problem is also okay. Now we have to go out and find new contractors again, and that's a whole that's a whole thing. And it's actually really hard to find contractors when you don't have a deal in place yet, right? So. I guess, I guess, what do you do then? Like if you haven't had a deal yet, but you still want to build up your network, how do you go out and vetting these contractors? Yeah, I, I mean, what I would do is I would, again, I would probably go to these Facebook groups and say, hey, I'm looking at buying a flip uh, in, you're in Dallas? Yeah, I'm looking at buying a flip in DFW area. Does anyone have any good referral contractor referrals for me? And then, you know, there someone might link a couple or two. I bet you'd get three out of the gate, right? And then you just call the contractors. Hey, I'm, I'm negotiating a deal right now that's likely going to be a flip. I wanted to see, you know, if I can be on par with what I think the budget is. And then you start the relationship, right? Now, you didn't say, yeah, I have a deal. You said, I'm looking at buying this flip that I'm negotiating. Whether it comes to fruition or not is is moot point, right? You're just getting your foot in the door. Yeah. So now at least you have their contact. You can call them up when you have a deal in place. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about financing deals. You did mention earlier that you bought 14 deals 14 rental properties with none of your own money into them. How did you go about achieving that? 
So they're lenders. Well, so I usually, and it's not all the time, like I actually bought nine of those deals were a portfolio turnkey rental. So what's the difference? The other five were not. I bird them, right? So I bought it, remodeled it, rented it, refied out, repeat. I love that model. And the reason being is because you can essentially almost always, almost get 95% of your money back out of the deal, right? And you leave in a small little thing, or if you can, you get all your money back out. But the model is a brilliant model. The cool thing about that is, you know, Sean, if you're lending to me on the acquisition kind of remodel side, I can use your money. I put down the 20% or whatever it is, use your money, uh, remodel it, get it rented. And then I can go to a, a company like Lima One or someone who has a long-term. Do you guys do any long-term lending? Yes, we do. Oh, my bad dog. Then I go right back to you and I say, Sean, can we roll this into a long-term 30-year no. And then you say, absolutely. Now, the pros and the cons. The pros, I'm dealing with one lender, Sean. The con is now I'm going to essentially pay for two different sets of fees. But if you buy it right and you do everything right, it kind of becomes a who cares because it's a long-term rental, right? So, you know, your first month or maybe two, you're not making a ton of money because you had to do these things. Who cares? I'm not, you know, I'm not buying a long-term rental so I can go get rich off 200 bucks a month, Right. But if I have 2,000 of those, then that money becomes very, very real, right? And so uh, that's how we do it, right? And the reason why I've never put a dollar of my own is because I do a lot of deals, right? So to some extent, uh, cash flow can be a big bottleneck. So if I can go out and create a capital partner relationship with somebody who's willing to be a part of this, I'll be the real estate side, they become the capital partner it's a win-win. I don't have the bottleneck of my own cash flow because I have all these deals I'm doing and they don't know the first thing about real estate except for they want to be in it. You win. Everyone wins in that scenario, right? So I bring my capital partner. Sean brings me the 80% and all the other terms that come along with that and we just go. Yeah. So basically you need to find a partner that has, uh, I guess, a lot of money. and But again, they don't want to spend the time to learn the business, right? They don't want to spend the time to do their own deals. Yeah. They work, they're doing whatever, but they have, you know, 500 grand sitting in their, you know, retirement account just sitting there. They're like, oh man, yeah, I'm more than happy to give you 250 grand to do this and be a partner in these rental. Now for me, I'm at a place where that's, you know, in terms of long-term rentals, I would only want to do it that way, right? In terms of flips, I would really only, I don't necessarily want partners. I would just do debt because I don't need the partners, so I don't need to give away that much of my my profit, right? It's very expensive money when you do a partnership. So in that case, I would just bring on a debt uh, lender and do this very same thing, right? I mean, out of the 600 rehab flips, probably 95% of them, I never used any of my own money. I would do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Initially, as you start, you do partnerships because people need to believe you know what the hell you're doing and they need to see those checks. And then you can start to renegotiate saying, hey, I've paid you an insane return on your money. We need to ratchet that down. You're going to become a debt partner, right? You're going to give me 10% money. And then I go to Sean and say, great, now give me the, the rest. At, what are you guys at? Um, depends, you know, 7 8%. Depends on your experience. And then I get, you know, Sean's money at 7 8%. That takes care of the purchase agreement. Then my capital uh, debt partner will come in with the remodel, right, at 10%. And so I don't have to come with any of my own money. And then I always budget out, you know, overages, meaning, so let's just say I call Fred, who's going to be my debt partner. 
along with Sean, but the second um, leg, and then I'll say, okay, I need 50 grand for remodel. I need 50 grand to put down. So I need a hundred grand. Then I have six months of holding costs, debt payments, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole loan for Fred is 150 grand, right? And then Sean comes in with 80% of the acquisition, which is 200 grand. And I don't have to take a dollar out of my own pocket for the whole transaction. Now that's in the flipping model, just for clarity. You can do the same thing in the buy and hold model, but now you have a lot of debt coming out, right? That's why I like the capital partner because you're both invested on the long-term model and or Airbnb model. In that first model with um, you know, your Fred friend, does he usually ask to be recorded on like as a second lien or do you just write like a personal guarantee? Yeah, we usually do it just to give them protection, right? I mean, the reality is some lenders won't let you record a second lien, right? Exactly. So, you know, as long as the lender's willing and able, yes. Uh, other times, it's, you know, they we have an agreement and it's as good as anything else, meaning the first lender is never going to foreclose the second lender anyways. So, yes, while there's protection with the second lender, you know, Sean's never going to lose the home in the first position, essentially, right? So, really, it's just the agreement between me and them. Okay. And then when you get a partnership, what does that usually look like? Uh, usually, like in the long term, it'll be a 50-50 or it just depends on how much is going in right? And you can create it however you want, right? Just how much is it? Got it. So it could be a 30%, could be a 40. I don't love telling people to go 50-50 because that's where they always start. They never really negotiate, right? There's, oh, it's got to be 50-50. Oh, no, it doesn't, right? Depends on what you're doing, what you're providing and the value and, you know, what type of returns they're looking for, right? If they're like, hey, man, if I can get 10% on my money, all right, we'll math that out, right? I mean, how many rentals are you going to buy and how long does that take? And how do you get them 10% on their money? If they give you 200 grand, they need to be making 10% annualized is 20 grand, right? So how do you figure out a way to get them 20 grand a, a year? Cool. And, you know, I guess stepping away from real estate itself, I also do know that you have an event that you host. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the event? Like how long have you been hosting it for and what kind of uh, speakers and topics you talk about? Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, so we just had our Wealth Accelerator event because I'm a firm believer that being a one-trick pony is just not the move. And people who are wholesaling are thinking too small. Like I just said, you never need your own money to flip homes. You never need your own money to buy and hold. Because wholesaling has become this popular, like, that's where you start because you don't need any money and none of your own credit. It's all BS. You still have lenders that will lend on the asset, right? Like true hard money lenders will lend strictly on the asset. They might have high terms, high interest rates, but they will still do it. Uh, you have financial partners. And so my whole mission with that is I want people to understand how to build wealth and active income, right? Because you don't want to just shut down all your active income. That's why wholesaling and flipping is so beautiful. You can make a whole lot of money. But you should be building wealth while doing it. You should be buying rentals, short-term rentals, long-term rentals. You should be accumulating wealth. And the biggest thing about that is people aren't thinking like wealthy people, right? So that whole model, that whole event was based out of one of my mentors. is like, Justin, you think like a rich person, you don't think like a wealthy person. And it, like, it was like someone just punched me in the gut, right? I was like, oh, that hurts. And so I realized, well, if I'm not, that means the vast majority of the people out there in our space are not thinking like a wealthy person. So I put on that event to show here's the direct line of making money, wholesaling and flipping and how that turns into building actual wealth for yourself for longevity, right? And then we'll have an event coming up here very shortly, um, which I'm calling wholesaling to wealth, right? 
And so it is really about how do you take the true business of wholesaling and flipping homes, finding the lead, converting the lead, why do you choose wholesaling versus flipping, and then taking that business model into converting it into building wealth? Because none of us, Sean, Justin, or anyone, is in this business model for the transactional business. None of us are, right? So the, the hurdle I always had was I loved money so much that I kept going for the money, right? Making all the cash and putting it in your pocket and traveling and all the fun things you can do with money. But I wasn't building wealth along the way until recently. And now I have this passion to make that. So now my next event will be wholesaling to wealth, which is helping people understand here's how to build a very successful seven figure year wholesaling flipping business. And then how does that transition into you building wealth? So that will be coming up likely in September, I think. So would you say the major difference, I guess the whole point is that when you're trying to think like a rich person, quote unquote rich person, is that you're just finding these transactional activities that build you a lot of money today, but there's no long-term prospects to it, right? Like when you're done with the transaction, you're done. Versus the wealthy individual, they have a property that's like a rental. So it's always giving them passive cash flow and the property appreciates. So you're always building more and more wealth as time goes on. A hundred percent. And that's the point is too many people become short-sighted. They don't even know how to look at a P&L, right? Like just... There's some functional things that I think a lot of people aren't realizing in the transactional business that you're just making a lot of cash and it's transactionally happening. Like you can't leave that business. You're integral in that business a lot of times, right? And so, you know, helping people understand that there's a difference between being the hustler and then being the CEO is massive. And then you need to be able to accumulate a lot of money so that you have options. But the reality is you don't need that money to build wealth. You just need to be able to make that business something that doesn't need you so you can go on to build wealth. Does that make sense? Meaning you can go and you know fly to, to Dallas to meet with Sean to talk about this apartment complex that you're looking at buying because you can now. Before, you had to be in the business, working the deal, negotiating with the seller, blah, 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 blah. So you know people are fixated on the transactional business because it makes you a lot of cash. I call it the ATM right? Just money keeps flowing in as a wholesaler and a flipper. Um, but you can leverage that into building wealth, right? And even how you're using your money. So for example, one thing I will be teaching in my wholesaling to wealth is you wholesale make 10 grand. Well, did you know you can actually wholesale in your self-directed IRA, make that 10 grand, put it back in your IRA for absolutely free, and then go take that money and go flip a property in your IRA, take that money, put it back in your IRA, and then you can go buy a four-unit uh, complex in your IRA. All the money that's ever been made in there is tax-free. And then you're buying a four-unit complex and all of the rent and money is now going in there. It's because you just don't know that a self-directed IRA has a utility that way. And you need to know that, right? Because now I just went out and essentially, for none of my own money and never making or never having to pay taxes, I now just bought a four-door complex. Yeah, I mean, again, there's a little much stuff that people just don't know. And I uh, think, uh, you know, I guess podcasts like this, videos that you host, even like events that they can go to are a great place that they can go to learn all this information. Um, so I would tell you, I have a podcast, uh, a lot of the information. So my podcast is on iTunes, but it's also on YouTube because I try to make them visual as well. So if you go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Justin Colby, I do five videos a week. They're largely about real estate, but I also just talk about being an entrepreneur and, and the, that type of stuff. 
so I'd say most, if not all of my content is on YouTube for absolutely free. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Justin Colby. Just go subscribe. And there's literally almost nothing that I don't address, right? There's nothing I'm not talking about or teaching about right there on my YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, Justin, it's been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for sharing everything about flipping, wholesaling, and the difference between being a rich person and a wealthy person. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know before we wrap up for today? Just start going, right? Keep listening to Sean, but take action, right? Believe in the three, the commitment, intention, and action. So listen to Sean, listen to me, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't do any good if you're just going to sit and learn and learn and learn and never act. And so, you know, be committed to this. You, you all can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Let's put it that way. I, you know, and, uh, but be committed, have intention, take action. If you do that and you really do it over time, you'll get the result. The problem I see is someone I've been coaching now, uh, for the better part of eight years, I see people who do it once or twice and then they quit because they didn't get the result they wanted. That just doesn't, that doesn't fly. Right. So stay in the game long enough to win the game. Awesome. And Justin, remind our listeners one more time. How can people find out more about you? Yeah, if you want to go to my social media, the Justin Colby on Instagram, the Justin Colby on Instagram, uh, my YouTube channel, go to YouTube, look me up, Justin Colby. I have a lot of great stuff there, and then Facebook, obviously. That's really the best resource. Awesome, and Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and hopefully, I can go to one of your events and uh, potentially sponsor uh, a booth there. Would love to have you, bro. Would love to have you. Probably in September, actually. We should definitely stay in touch. Wonderful. All right, Justin. Thanks so much. See ya. I hope you like this episode. You can find the show notes with all the links on our site, everythingrei.com. If you like the podcast, please help us grow by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends to listen as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.